I'll tell all your listeners right now, if you want to scale, you have to have a property manager. There's no way to scale and you can't micromanage. You just, it doesn't, it doesn't, you cannot value for your time doesn't work. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey everybody, Sarah Larby here. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? And today we talk about how to find and work with an investor, a focused realtor with Jamil Rahimtula. He's been able to find us some really awesome deals recently. I think we've bought a handful of them with him in the last few months. He is an investor as well. And he is my one of my go-to main realtors now that I currently work with for bigger deals, for smaller deals, all that stuff in between. And he's also helped a lot of my students along the way. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And we've got some exciting things coming as well. In November, we are going to do a one-time only course on the midterm rental strategy. It is my favorite. We're going to teach you everything from A to Z on how to acquire, analyze, set up, manage, and all of that good stuff, your midterm rental property. And uh, you can do that successfully from really anywhere across the country, can even apply anywhere else other than just Canada. So if you are interested in learning about that, send me a message or check out my website. There is a course, all the course breakdown and everything there. If you are not on my mailing list, go to sarahlarby.com and you can get added to see what is new and happening. Inspire Beach Resort is also opening. And so if you are interested in hosting an event, we are actually doing something special on October 20th for event planners. And if you're thinking about maybe having a retreat or a wedding or any kind of event, Next year, you can uh, check out the resort October 20th. Send me a message for that, Sarah at sarahlarby.com. Before we go into the show, Dahlia from Streetwise Mortgages will share her tip of the week. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. With all of the talk about how rising rates have increased variable and adjustable rate mortgage payments in some cases by more than 60%, and the impact of that on property cash flow and monthly budgets. I wanted to share with you a strategy that we call the cash flow booster that is coming currently handy in alleviating some of the pressure and can help you ride the wave that can potentially last for 18 months before things start to get better and rates go back down. If you're currently on an adjustable rate mortgage where the monthly mortgage payment has changed as the rates went up, or you are in a variable rate mortgage where you have hit or about to hit the trigger rate, and I've also seen an increase in your mortgage payment as a result, or you are currently considering a renewal and you're concerned about a significant increase in your mortgage payment because you are renewing at higher rates, then Grab a pen and a paper as I am about to share with you a powerful cash flow management tool that will help you ease up the pressure on your pocket and can also turn a property cash flow negative to a cash flow positive. Say you have a mortgage on a rental property for $520,000 and that your interest rate is now close to 5% and the amortization is 30 years. On that property, the principal and interest payment would be about $2,760. 
Say this property is renting for $3,500 and the total expense ratio of taxes, insurance, and vacancies is another $1,000. If you run the math, this property would be, not, it would be cash flow negative at about $310 every single month. One way to turn this negative cash flow to a positive cash flow is the following. Step number one, we set up an advanceable line of credit on the property. The benefit of an advanceable line is that it increases in the limit as you pay down the principal of the mortgage. So in this example, the mortgage payment is 2760 When an advanceable line gets connected to that property, that line would increase by the principal paid down every month, which is $489 every time that mortgage payment is made. Step number two, and here is where things get cool. Instead of paying down that mortgage from the rental income, we can tap into the advanceable line or we can tap into another secured line on another property on, within your portfolio to pay down that mortgage payment. So basically take $2,760 from the line to pay down the principal and interest every month. This then will leave you with an outstanding balance on the line every month of 2760 which costs about $14 of interest per month. You've heard that right. The monthly mortgage expense went down from 2760 to $14 per month because you shifted the payment that is principal and interest into an interest-only payment. That is an extra $2,764 per month of cash flow that you should now keep as a reserve for the times ahead instead of feeding this property money every month. But you'll say, Dahlia, now I'm tapping into this line of credit to pay down the mortgage. How is this helping me out? Well, let me explain. Firstly, you are now accumulating cash flow and you don't have to feed this property money every month. That is a lot of pressure off. Secondly, while you have used 2760 from the line, remember, you are getting back the principal pay down every month added to that line. Let's say you carry these payments for um, 18 months. By the end of the 18 months, you would have accumulated close to $50,000 in cash because of that extra cash flow. Your line of credit balance would be close to about $50,000 as well. The annual interest payment on that $50,000 would be $250 annually. Fast forward 18 months out, your rents would have hopefully increased or you are in a better financing position or rates have improved, allowing you to pay the mortgage in a normal fashion. You can then continue to pay interest only on that line or use some or all of the cash you've accumulated to clear it or pay a large chunk back, or you can convert it to a mortgage at the time by calling the branch. If you wish to deploy this cash booster strategy, contact us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is great. On that note, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to leave a rating and review and we'll see you very shortly. Jamil, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. On a beautiful day today and summertime is awesome. <laughs> 
I know, I know. So I'm excited to be interviewing you. Aisha is uh, is a business partner of mine who is your wife, also my executive assistant and has done amazing. And, and so I'm interviewing you today about investing and uh, you're obviously a realtor as well and, and you're working very closely with investors. So we'll, we'll talk all about that. But before we get started, why don't you give us a little bit of a sneak peek into how you got started investing in the first place? Yeah, great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, so this is this is awesome. I know it's a long time coming, so I appreciate having this conversation. Yeah, so I started off at, at I think age twenty four, really interested in in real estate, seeing how my family was interested in how they were like they knew that real estate was the way of financial freedom and being young and and being in different careers and different paths. I, and we were like, okay, we got to figure, I got to figure a way to get in. But at the same time, I was, I didn't have the capacity to buy property on my own. So I just did as much reading as I could. So I was like Don Campbell, Daniel Carnegie, all the major books back then we didn't have access to all the, as much of the resources online. So I was, I was reading it up, reading as many of the literature available to me. And I was also a RAIN member. So that was something that was interesting. That was kind of a gift to me at a young age. It's like, hey, just to tag along and see what's going on. And I was just obsessed with it at that point. I was reading and learning about it as much as I can. I just couldn't wait. And at that point, I said to myself, I'm going to, I put some goals down and said, I'm going to buy my property. So at like age 26, I bought my joint ventured with three of my friends and we bought our first, first student rental. Yeah. So that was the first one in near McMaster university. And funny enough, we still have it. <laughs> so that was one that's kind of, kind of launched the further properties and maybe, maybe other investors could relate to this. You kind of have your one golden egg and then you kind of let it launch to other ones. So from, from that point, you learned a lot and kind of the, the trade-off there was that I would be more of the hands-on and as with JVs you kind of find partnerships where someone would be more of the money partner and want someone to be more of the hands-on element and I enjoy the element the, the component of dealing with people because I, I came from a hospitality background and I knew that customer service and understanding people's needs and just listening to what people wanted was a very critical point of where landlording or property management tends to tends to have that little bit of a linchpin. So I kind of filled in that void. I learned I learned on, on my toes with issues of, of keggers and fun stuff like that that would happen at my place. But yeah, I kind of started with that. And after that, it was kind of like, I want, I want more and more. So I convinced my my JVs after that, say, let's get another one. And we spiraled from there. We we acquired another student rental. And we just figured out the the kind of the 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 cut like I guess the, the 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 sweet spot to start earning cash flow. So as I was going back to that, that question of how to get involved, I was really interested in the fact of let's get something that that gives me a bit of cash flow because I was young, I needed I needed money to get around and what have you, and that had that drive. And then once I saw those rents coming in, I was I was hooked. <laughs> Very cool. So lots of questions, obviously, but I, I love Don Campbell as well. Love his books. That's that's also how I got started and wealth of knowledge for Canadianized content for Canadians, which I think is great because there's tons tons of, of stuff out there that's Americanized and not everything applies. So you're JV. So you started JVing, which I think is a great opportunity if you're 
bring something to the table and you don't have the other part of the pie to make it all work. How did you find your JVs? What did each person bring to the table just as an average? If someone's thinking, how do I get started? How can I partner with people? And, and what do I bring to the table versus what do they bring? How did you guys structure that? Yeah, it's great. So I found them through our community. I, one of my partners, I grew up with him. Probably I, I've known him since I was in like junior school. And his family's known my family for a long time. So we've known each other for a while. But once we start talking about real estate, it just clicked. Like we were, we we just had that opportunity. So he came in and, and funny enough, we all came in as equal partnerships. But the the way we structured it was it was it was time value, right? So the other partner was he his background was he was a lawyer. So he came from the legal point of view, making sure all of our T's are crossed, I's are dotted, and we were structurally sound so that exit closet, shotgun closet, et cetera, were in place because we didn't want to ruin the relationship if ever something was to happen. So I, and in those books, exactly what you were talking about, it talks about, I know, let's say my weakness was like, hey, I didn't, I didn't have the full financial knowledge at that time. So I wanted to reach that money partner that says, okay, he's, that friend of mine, he had done uh, four deals prior to me. And I, he was younger than me. He was 24 at the time. He already done four deals. So I knew he was, he was comfortable with looking at a deal like this. And in exchange for, for, our, for my services where I, I was like, okay, I'll be hands-on. I can fix things. I can deal with the tenant screening. I can deal with leasing that we work together in that partnership. Advice to people is look in your sphere. Like there are people who are interested in, in, you have some commonalities. First look within your sphere, ask around, don't be shy. There's a lot of opportunities and you just have to, you just have to have those conversations and be comfortable talking about where your interest is because you never know. You never know where the opportunity might lie and it could lead to an amazing opportunity. One of the properties we picked up in Burlington was just a conversation with someone our contractor at the time, he's saying, hey, there's this property. It's been abandoned. I know the owner, et cetera, et cetera. And we ended up picking it up. But it was just the fact that you just have to be able to work it into your day-to-day conversation, work into the fact that if you're interested in growing your business and you're interested in, 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 that, in that space of real estate, just, just kind of have that, that conversation on the regular. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I look at it as kind of like different quadrants, right? So there's like the money quadrant. So how is that going to look like? Who is bringing the money? Do you, are you bringing the money? Are you bringing all of the money? Are you bringing part of that? And again, there's not one size fits all, but like that's probably, let's call it 25% of the pie. And then the financing is the other 25%, right? How's the financing in it? Is there one person that can carry the financing? Is that 25% of the pie for to be on title and on the mortgage? And then the other parts are like, usually it's like a deal. So who's bringing the deal to the table? And then the other last part of that I look at is all the management, right? The active management, the day-to-day, which sounds like, Jamil, a lot of the stuff that you're working on is that active management piece, which ultimately, and, and I have some JVs now that I'm actively the managing partner, you don't see a lot of that money back until, you know, much later. So talk to us a little bit about your, your thoughts on, on structuring. And if you were to suggest maybe to somebody that's starting out, what are some of the things that they could do if they don't have any, uh, any money or any financing to be able to make things happen? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think the, 
first off, if you're, if you're, if you don't really have a lot of money, the first thing is like invest in yourself, get, get educated, get knowledge, like invest in the right tools to get you prepared for that opportunity that comes up. Yeah. See where your niche is, see what you enjoy, because if you, let's say you enjoy doing odd jobs, landscaping, painting, et cetera, then you could provide that as a service in, in, in relation to a partnership. Furthermore, if you want to get invested, I think the, that, that is a, is, is depends on where you are in your career, where you are, what you want. Some people, if they're just want like a cash flow property, you have to, you definitely have to position yourself as a value add if you don't have if you don't have a value add then a lot of people don't don't see you as that piece in that quadrant they you got to figure out where your quadrant is and if you can provide that if you can provide whatever administrative services legal services whatever and and, and or on on the grounds help then that's a value add and to someone who wants to be in be a partner with you they will 100% want to work with you. And going back to your point, yeah, they, the ones who are doing the more, the hands-on managing nowadays, you have to, the one thing I always say is have a value for your time. Do not discount the time that you put in like screening tenants, dealing with the day-to-day, if, you're, if, that's your, if that's your niche, if that's your quadrant. And if you're bringing the deal to the table or if you're providing that financing side, be very clear and transparent of, of what your value for your time is. Because if you don't, you can go down a very bad hole where you end up working for free. And as you said, you don't get the payout till the absolute end and they might not value all that work, those, those hours where someone's calling you, Hey, my toilet's clogged or whatever, if that's the case. So definitely try to put a value to your time and be transparent with your partners about where you see it, the, the, the exit strategy. So what I'm trying to say is like where you have that exit in mind and where you see it going and, and be clear with them. Say, Hey, this is going to be a three-year deal, five-year deal. Are, are you planning to refinance? Are we planning to pull out? Are we trying to sell? Are we looking at a bigger picture project and going to multi-units? That's those conversations. I think communication is key to, to establish that at really at the onset of, of joining the JV. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you looking for a reliable contractor for your next Burr multifamily conversion or flip project? Somebody who understands how to work with investors and also real estate investing itself. I've personally partnered with Lee Polak from Wise Construction. We're actively doing many projects together in Hamilton and Welland, so things like smaller three and four unit conversions and also some larger buildings where we're converting some large empty commercial spaces into residential units. And it's always been important to meet a partner and hire a contractor who does not only high quality work, but is on time and on budget. And it's also a huge bonus that they have their own in-house trades, employees and a warehouse full of building materials so that they can avoid the many labor and material shortages that we hear about often these days. A good project done on time, on budget and with high quality work will be key to the success of your Burr multifamily conversion or flip project. So to connect with Lee from Wise Construction, text or phone him at 416-525-5951. Again, that is 416-525-5951. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah. And I think with more and more experience as listeners will gain experience over time, over properties, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with charging a management fee 
for your time, right? Whether it's going to be hiring a property manager and you're managing the manager, sure. Or if you're actually going to be doing the property management and doing the tenant screening, you know, there are costs to that. And I, I would say, don't discount yourself because otherwise you're going to be working for free for, for many years before the payout actually happens. Because when you're doing stuff with JVs as the active partner, you're probably not seeing much until maybe the second refi, until the sale, until like mm. many of your tenants move out and then the cash flow gets boosted up quite uh, significantly. But that can take time. Yeah. And, and, and even I was, was talking to someone recently and, and they were talking how if they brought their trades into the, let's say they are doing something where we're going to bring in, we'll be JVs, but we'll bring in our trades. We'll do the contractor side. There's a value to bringing in the trades and, and you can't discount the fact that, okay, well, this person's bringing the trades and this is their rate. No, there's years of relationships, just years of conversations and, and respect that's been involved with that partnership. And for them to bring the trades into the table, you have to respect that time and value. Because if you went to them off the street and knocked on the door and say, hey, can you do this job? I guarantee you it's not going to be the same price. So there's, a, as you said, you have to understand that value and, and that knowledge to know how to manage relationships. Because relationship management, be it trades, contractors, whoever it is, is, is so much it's so much of the back end that people don't see. They don't see, well, oh, all you're doing is, all you're bringing in is, is a drywaller. So what's the point? But no, there is understanding what they do, how they do it, timelines and all that other stuff that's involved that, that has to be accounted for from a value point of view. Mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've obviously started with student rentals. Are you still sticking to student rentals? Have you pivoted along the years? Yeah, absolutely. I, I still have a student rental, but I pivoted. We, we went, we bought more student rentals out of that than we sold most of them to pivot to buying flips. And that was in, in not too long ago. And we've, and now after learning a lot during that process, whereby we, we bought we, we, we did a great renovation. We thought we could flip it, but the market was in a downturn. So we had to pivot and become landlords for a single fam and then have managed tenant expectations and all that. And then we eventually sold. But now my focus is uh, on multi-res. Like that's what I focus on right now. And, and my portfolio consists of, you know, multi-unit fourplexes and three, uh, triplexes. And that's kind of my focus because of the fact that it's not as much management of the tenants' expectations. It's utilities are on them. They manage the, their yard, et cetera. And I just have to ensure the building's operating at at its optimal and providing a service. But beyond that, I'm not dealing with the day-to-day as much. So I've kind of pivoted now at, 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 at this point in my age where I don't want to be dealing with calls or anything like that. It's kind of, look, it, it makes sense. That's just kind of where I'm looking at at this point in my, in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are you still self-managing even though there are four units, three units? Are you still self-managing or did you find a, a property manager that you're hired out to? I self-manage still. I guess I'm I'm tor- self. I can't get rid of that. <laughs> I can't get rid of that. I get a little bit of OCD where I want to. I, I have to have a little bit of control of what's going on. But I actually I did have a, a property management company when I was living abroad. So for for a while I had a property management company, and truth be told, they don't do the same service <laughs> as 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 me as me being a very particular person mm-hmm. now, and 
I'll tell all your listeners right now, if you want to scale, you have to have a property manager. There's no way to scale and you can't micromanage. You just, it doesn't, it doesn't, you cannot value for your time doesn't work. But for me, I, I was just, I guess, quality control was an important thing. And, and I found that quality control wasn't there because I wasn't present. Like I make it a, an effort to drive down, mm-hmm. check out the property, do the walk around. Now, once you go into 20, 30, 50 units, and if they're not in one central location, it takes time out of your day. But yeah, I, I manage myself. I manage the tenants, leasing, I screen them, I do all that. And that also helps as a, as a realtor to keep my, my, my thumb on, on the pulse of what's happening in the markets, what's going on, what are the expectations of tenants? What are they, what, what are they requiring? What are they requesting? What's been, what's been, that kind of helps me stay in tune with what's happening, but mm-hmm. don't get me wrong i don't i don't like to deal with like ltb stuff or anything like that that's not mm-hmm. but I, I i go to sleep i can go to sleep at night not stressing or for some people who you get someone who calls you and they say something and it it keeps them up at night so it, 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 it's really about your personality and h- how you can handle it yeah for sure so i mean i i still self-manage i mean i'm, I'm starting to pivot out of that with with in-house property management and we're we're going into some midterm property management stuff as well so it just makes sense to hire but for somebody that's starting out and maybe not quite there where they need to pass it all off, can you share maybe like a procedure or a process that you're like, this is a really good way to do it if you're self-managing or some things that you've learned along the way from a management standpoint that you can share with us? Yeah, great, great question. I, I first off is I always, I mean, if we were talking like six months ago, this would not be possible. But now with market changing, I would say always get a home inspector, like get the inspector to go through. And I use that kind of as my, as the Bible or as a template, as a beginning for the home, as a structure, right? Because you have to provide a, a building that's safe, mm-hmm. safe for the, for the tenant. So that gives me kind of the structure, how things operate, what's going on. So from that point of view, how, how, you know, what's going on with, with, with the building. And then from there, you go into the, 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 like, I guess the non-tangibles, right? So I like to get, I get, I like whenever I purchase property, I like to get a breakdown of who's living there. I get an indication of how long they live in there, what's their background in sense of where they work, et cetera. And I, I try to book a five, 10 minute meeting with them. You just, just knock on the door and just talk to them. And it, it sounds crazy. I know it's a little bit of money, but right off the bat, introduce yourself, even give them a little card, a welcome card or a letter. If you're doing multi-units, obviously a letter works and it's harder to do that, but get to know them because they will give you the best insight into your property that you could ever, ever get. From there, you can, you can gauge of what's happening, what in relation to are they planning on moving out? Are they planning on staying? What are their terms? Are they having issues with other tenants, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely make yourself kind of a, a calendar or a manual so that during the different seasons, and this is from a building management point of view. So you're like, okay, gutters need to be cleaned at this time of year. Okay, it's going to be winter's coming. You have to drain your hose because you might have a water freezing and et cetera. Like little things like that. Make yourself an, a, a calendar invite, for example, and put that as a, a annual reminder so that it's, it's, it's not always top of mind, but it gives you that in your face. Like, hey, weather's changing. Let's, let's go check out the building. Going back to tenants, uh, and I'm hopping all over the place because it's just off the top of my head here. With, with regards to tenants, really, really tell them up front, like, hey, I'm here. I plan on doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at value adds, right? So I look at buildings. First thing you do is say, where can you add value? 
I look at things right away. I say, okay, is there opportunity for parking? Can I add value in parking, right? There's sometimes these older buildings, they don't charge. Is it, it, will your tenants pay more if you, if you, you put some asphalt down? Is there opportunity for laundry? There's some extra streams of income. For me, if anytime I buy a property, it's, it's about where I can add value. Other elements of, of that is, yeah, if you're starting out and you're doing it on your own, another thing is like, I know it sounds old school, but like get a filing cabinet and like stay as organized as you can because set a filing system for yourself. 2022 leases, make a file online and just drop it down, spend that time and and remind yourself to keep on top of that. Because I and when I first started, I would miss sometimes the rental increase. And that one might be 1%, 1.5%, but that's still money in your pocket. So little things like that, I, I actually have, I have a list. I wish I, I wish I could pull it up for you, but that's kind of how I go through my, my year. I know that, okay, summertime hits, I need to do these three things. I need to contact my landscaper. I need to contact my weed control guy. I need to, I need to do these, these, these things to ensure it operates because I don't want to get I don't I don't want to get in trouble with the city with having long grass. I don't want to have garbage issues, etc. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Are you looking to sell but don't want to move? Did you know that with Sell Rent Stays program, you can get paid and remain in your home? Life sometimes throws curveballs at us where we need to access the cash tied up in our homes. With Sell Rent Stay, you can get access to your home's equity without the hassle of moving from the house you call your home. Sell Rent Stay works with each client on a case-by-case basis to determine the value to be paid for your home. To learn more, visit www.sellrentstay.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, for sure. So I, I do want to get back to your your tenant thing just in, for a second because you're buying these multifamily properties and you are essentially taking them on likely with tenants in place, right? So there's pros and cons to that. But I think that like, just to give people a little bit of background, I mean, in Ontario, for example, it's very, very hard to ask for vacant possession, especially on these multifamilies. So likely you're assuming the t- or some of them or all of them or, or whatnot, right? Unless you're, unless you're quote unquote moving into it. But at that point in time, if you're looking at a triplex, it's very hard to say, get, get rid of everybody. I'm going to move into all three units at once. So, so just to to, to give a little bit of context around that. So you're, you're essentially getting to know the tenants prior to close. You're getting to know the building prior to close. So you can foresee some of the potential concerns or some of the things that will happen along the way. So I think that's great. And, and so I want to pivot now though, to the fact that like you've talked about a list, you're obviously, you know, very well versed in, in being a landlord, being an investor, focusing on large, uh, not large, but multifamily just in general, right? Three, four units, et cetera, et cetera. But you're a realtor as well, right? And so you were talking about this list. You're a realtor. I think you're focused on, you can tell me what you're focused on, but if an investor is interested, could they get access to the list by working with you? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, I, I like, we call ourselves kind of coaches because, you know, if you're a new investor, and you're trying to get in, you need a lot of handholding. So right off the bat, we provide you some, a calculation that's similar to one that what you provide, like that one would be perfect for, for you to kind of get, for me, I love numbers. I love, love numbers. Don't lie. Uh, someone who, who's selling and can tell you bells and whistles about a property, but if the numbers are there, unless you're looking at a, a complete, as you said, a vacant possession, you can do things with it. it, it it's, it's clear that 
um, you have to have all the information for yourself. We had a deal where the the selling agent provided us information, and then when it came to the the selling, we uh, actually when the closing, the numbers were completely off, and we actually had to approach. We went to the tenant and said, "Hey, what are you actually paying for rent?" Gar signed off on it, and it was like a fifty dollar difference between what was posted and what was that she was actually paying. And that's the kind of thing that I would do in, in a sense of ensuring the due diligence is there. But yeah, we going back to your question, that's something that I would provide. We provide, I'd have a one-on-one -on -one call with you and figure out your end goal. I want to figure out what your goals are and work my way backwards from there. So if your old goals are, let's say, cash flow, or let's say I want to do a little bit more hands-on, I'd kind of cater to to find you the right property that would would set you in the right direction to start off and then see where the trajectory would go from there and once you get a taste of of, of the space but absolutely we provide you with guidance in relation to even we can help you with lease agreements we can provide you calculators and etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah no that's amazing because i mean there is really a big difference between realtors that are helping average joe public find their primary home or move into their other primary and sell what they currently are living in. But the investment world is so different that if you're using a realtor that has no idea how to analyze numbers, no idea what, what to do with the landlord tenant rules in your provinces, you, it, could go, it could go sideways really fast. In your opinion, like why should, was it important for somebody to, to work with an investor-focused realtor? Yeah, great question. I think the fact that an investor-focused realtor has that background, they've you can learn from my mistakes. You can learn from the what I've done wrong and provide it so that you don't have to go down that route. So I'm looking out for your best interest because I know that when you start making money and you see the opportunities, we're gonna do business over and over again. And I and I and that to me is a great opportunity to see people have that financial freedom and that, that opportunity versus as you said, someone's just trying to sell a home to you and it's it's more of an emotional decision versus something that's just this let's look at this as a business. I I put that lens on. Another element that I I, I don't know I mentioned is that I did I did trade school also. I took, I took some trade school certification. So I understand the building envelope. I understand what's involved with renovations, not to the extent some of these, the trades that have been around for 20 years, but the fact that I can, I can look at something and say, okay, well, yeah, this was done correctly. This is the building code. This is not. I provide that extra element versus at a time where we couldn't even do ins home inspections. I can at least gauge on a, on a preliminary level what, what we're looking at. I always recommend getting a home inspector because that's what they do every day. But at least I could provide some general insight of costs. Let's say someone wants to do a bathroom renovation or they want to replace the flooring. I'm top of mind. I know what costs are there right off the top of my head. I could tell you, hey, you're going to be injecting X number of dollars to refurb this. And this is what it's going to cost. These are your timelines. So I can give the clients that confidence of what the market is at present moment. So they're not being left with left in the lurch when they buy a property and saying, oh, I thought it was only gonna be 10 grand when really realistically the market's stating it might be 30 or whatever it is. So I can provide that that realistic context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's super important. 
So I'm a big believer in, in obviously working with realtors that are investors themselves, are investor focused. And, and ideally there's lots of pocket listings that come about or exclusives or opportunities. But, but aside from that, I also think it's important to work with local realtors that have a good grasp on specific markets, right? So like for me, I don't use the same person that I would use in Brantford versus like the cottage country area because it's just two different markets altogether. And then the other piece of it is I think the easiest way to build a team when you're brand new or you're in a different area is to rely on your investor-focused realtor who likely has their own team for their own stuff and also has built a team in those areas that they really fully cover. So if you need a contractor, trades, paralegals, you name it, a lot of them, you want them to be local to those markets. And so what areas are you covering currently? What areas are you set up with your teams in place? Yeah, great question. Thanks. So I think the, I right, actually right now I'm in Hamilton, Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo. We go all the way out to Welland and, and St. Catharines area because of the opportunities. My investments right now are Brantford, Cambridge area, Hamilton. That's kind of my core. But going back to that point, right? Like one of the things that I always try to stress upon is that network, providing that network of referrals and there, these, these, I prefer to provide three referrals or be very agnostic with who I provide because it gives the client the comfort level of knowing like, Hey, here's what my options are. I can call each one of them and get maybe three different answers to the same question. But I know that I, I know that they could call other clients and actually walk through that house and see how they've done the work, or they can walk, talk to clients about how that paralegal was. And I know that, that I wouldn't put my name on something or I won't give a recommendation if I haven't talked to that person myself or I haven't used them or someone that I know that I trust has used them. I don't, I don't like that to me is very important because going back to being a supportive realtor, you, you're in a new space completely. So you don't realize, oh my God, I need an insurance company. I need it. I need a, a, a lawyer that's focused on investing real for investors in real estate. Oh, I need a contractor that can do this work according to building code because there are people who do fly by night stuff. We'll give you a quote, but I, I don't support that. Like I'd rather you have a, a long-term trajectory versus someone who's not, right? So it's, it's, it's very important to have that. And we provide that Rolodex. We have a long Rolodex of, of referrals. But yeah, my focus is in those areas for sure. Okay. All right. Awesome. So I'm going to ask you a question and then we're going to go into the lightning round, but this is the last one essentially. Okay. And we're going into 2022. We are in 2022. We're halfway through 2022. Rates are increasing. They're increasing a lot. <clears throat> I think many people are hoping it is what it is. What what are the opportunities out there for, for this year that you see? And what are some maybe riskier ones that you would say proceed with caution on these types of strategies? Because there's lots of really different types of real estate investment strategies. Some are maybe a little bit less risky than others in a market like this. Yeah, good question. So my take on it is as a realtor, I don't know a crystal ball, <laughs> unfortunately, but based on what we're seeing in the conversations we're having within our networks and mortgage brokers and just generally within our network, I, it, the, the market's shifting to buyers. It, it's becoming a buyer's market. There's more opportunity to find uh, properties that fit what you want. So, and I should follow up with that. You have more protections in place. So we're doing deals now where I can put, a 10-day financing clause. I'm able to put a five-day inspection 
three months ago, six months ago, or like early in, in 2022, that was unheard of. So I feel like things are starting to really calm down and there's opportunities because the individuals who are selling now have either purchased another property and they need to get out of their current property and they're willing to take discounts or they're willing to take less than what they originally thought. So don't be afraid to listeners out there. Don't be afraid of seeing that first, that number that you see on that purchase price. Don't be afraid of that number and saying, well, the last six months here, everyone's been bidding over 150. Now you're able to negotiate down 50 to 100,000. There is opportunities because there's a lot less buyers out there. Mm-hmm. So this is nothing, something we have, people haven't seen. And, and then going to that second question, what to be wary of? The, the, the luxury and homes, those ones, I would say, be, be wary of paying that premium for those homes because appraisers, appraisals are not coming in at those prices. So be conscious. If you're going to put an offer in, just don't put it on just a financing clause. Put it on conditional of appraisal. So it, it, it changes a little bit, but that appraisal could change a break a deal, right? You could come in $50,000 less. So have that in mind as investors, have that in mind. If you're looking at something for yourself or if it's more of an investment side, if the numbers work, uh, the, 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 the flag area is if it just works at the current interest rates or even the, the hike that's going to happen later, just be conscious of that, like factor in, forecast out that potential hike. And if it works at that hike, then you, you have an opportunity to negotiate and use that leverage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, obviously we talked about the luxury markets. We talked about running your numbers. I think more and more multifamilies where you're not relying on just one rent is going to help like what you're focusing on. I also think personally a big risk, and I've been calling this out for a long time, is those that are doing the buying contracts, paper contracts, pre-construction with the expectation that they're going to sign it, or if they close on it, they're going to go into the cash flow negative realm. To me right now, that is probably in my, this is just my opinion, this is a very big risk from a strategy standpoint, because you're buying these contracts that you don't know what the market's going to be like when you're ready to close, you don't know what your financial situation is going to be like when you're ready to close. You don't know if the bank and the lenders are going to have pulled back and created some new rules. And I actually could see some big problems coming with everybody who went crazy in the last few years, banking on just appreciation, expecting to sign and assign the contract for a hundred grand more. And I think there's going to be, unfortunately, like to me, that's a huge speculation play, not an investment play, but what are your thoughts? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, and we're seeing it now. Like I had a conversation with a specialist who focuses just on condos. That is his bread and butter. And he's saying there's certain developers who are pushing individuals who put their early deposits to start getting them to start put like put that complete deposit down. And now they're obviously starting to, the ones that are developers who are closing and they're ready for occupancy, people are, are, are scared. They're scared. They've reached out to this individual as, for example, as a, as a, as a, as a building in, in, in Toronto by Lakefront. I won't name it, the builder developer, but they asked like, listen, we're really worried. Can we assign it? And the end of the conversation was you can assign it 
for essentially the same price that you bought it for three years ago. And you're going to have to pay a fee associated with it. So they're net negative on their money, which is really scary. So I think you hit on the head there. I think there's a lot of people who got caught up in the momentum. And when, when they saw all the prices kind of going, going to the sky, they said, well, let me just get in in any way, shape, way or form. And they didn't really do the due diligence and understanding that, okay, you're paying like $1,200, $1,300 a square foot for a place that has, doesn't have much to offer versus, you know, doing, and unfortunately there's, there's some, there's individuals out there who just care about that. They just want to do the volume sales and they don't really care about the, the impacts and there's going to be people and there's people right now who are going to be, they're going to be infected and, and it's, it's sad. And I'm seeing it now. It's, I'm seeing it now on like the off market and like, and the one thing that maybe doesn't get explained to people is assignable sales or contractual sales. They don't necessarily can go on MLS. It's not like, it's not something that can just be publicly made and you just look up an assignable sale. So there is high risk. So individuals went into it who got maybe a good developer and things are okay and you have the rentals and you got in at a good time. But the last two years, developers priced in that, that market increase and people have paid for it versus now they haven't priced in the decrease. So yeah, it, it is scary. I'm, 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 I am worried for a few people that, that, that they are going to be feeding the property. And I mean, rents are there. I mean, we talked about this and rents are going to be there. If you have to, if you have to, if you can afford to close on the property, then you might be okay. Cause the rents are going up and you have the right unit, the right location, et cetera. But if you don't have that capacity to close or sell it as an assignable, oof, yeah. the banks are going to be after you. So it's, it's, it's scary. And even just like what happened in the short glimpse in 2017, where the market did take a bit of a dive and like a lot of people bought these because of the very low deposit structure and how it gets spread out over potentially a couple of years or whatnot. I think that at the end of the day, he might be forced to come up with an extra hundred grand or 50 grand or whatever that amount is if the property doesn't appraise on close. So even if you can close, you might have to fork up more money because the market might have shifted. So anyways, look, long story short, there's, there's strategies that work really well. Most strategies work really well in an up market, but you don't want to be speculating if you're going into a sideways market, a down market, or some potential uncertainty like we're going to be experiencing, in my opinion, over the next couple of years. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Be smart about your investments and look, project out, look at the opportunities, go where, where locations have the economy to scale and where the growth is. But as you said, like there, there are uh, this unscrupulous things happening and you just have to be around the right team to support you and guide you in the right place. And having that behind you and, and a coach like yourself to give them that guidance is, it, it's worth its weight in gold. It's worth its weight in gold because to save you on, on thousands and thousands of dollars it is worth that, that, that pain and suffering. So yeah, I think you're on the same page. Awesome. Jamil, so the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So you're going to answer five questions in 20 seconds or less per question. Are you ready to play? All right, let's get this going. Today's lightning round has been brought to you by midtermrentalproperties.ca. It is a new way to rent, make more cash flow, take back control over our investments and our portfolios using a different creative strategy and pivoting. So if you want to find out more, go to midtermrentalproperties.ca. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? 
Oh, I would say oh, that's a good one. The the right I would say any of the Don Campbell books. Any any of the Don Campbell books are like my, my go to my go to okay. ones. Awesome. I I love his books too. Number two doesn't have to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite podcast? Come on, there's so many, but no, I, I I would say you know obviously yours and so many others, but my 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 right now it's like Tim Ferriss because mm-hmm. he kind of keeps me keeps me he'll talk about like psychedelics one day and then talk about cryptocurrency the next episode, so he's he's, he's random and it keeps me kind of it, it even keel, so that's kind of my go to right now. All right, very cool. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate, being a realtor, investing, etc. Yeah, I I really I mean I enjoy spending time with my kids. That's a real good time. I like seeing them grow up. They're young right now, so it's a really good time. And uh, I play basketball. That's my that's my go to. I love playing basketball outdoor, and that's that's my favorite thing to do. All right, very cool. Number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, all your assets, all your real estate, all your money, how would you start again? Ooh, I'd probably be calling you. <laughs> no, no. I what would I do? I what I would start do? I would I would call everyone in my Rolodex, everyone in my phone, make those calls and just let them know, Hey, this is, this is, these are the mistakes that have happened, but I, I have, I want to do it all over again and, and let's start all over. But yeah, I'd use my sphere and just call it and then make it work again. All right. So calling me is, wasn't a joke. It was probably actually one of maybe calling another 50 people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, cool. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000, they want to get started. How would you recommend that they spend that money? It used to be a lot back in the day when I first started this. Now it's a different yeah, story, but 50, grand. Yeah. if they're flexible, I think they could still, that's a great question. I definitely put some money into coaching I, and just like life coaching, real estate coaching and see how much is left over after that and see what the opportunities are get get into a, like a group where you can get together and see where your investments can go so like 50,000 i would say yeah you can invest in timmins like up north but if you're not flexible enough then invest in yourself and that will definitely lead you to inv- future investments with like jvs and such i would use that as a, as an opportunity for sure amazing jamil thank you for playing the lightning round where can my listeners reach out find out more Absolutely. I'm on social media under Jamil Realty, J-A-M-I-L Realty. And my website is propertybrother.ca. That's being revamped. But yeah, that's where you can reach me at. Yeah. And that's, that's how we can get a hold of me. That's, that's my best way right there. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure speaking with you and congrats on all your success. And guys, if you want a realtor in those areas that Jamil mentioned, reach out to Jamil and have him handhold you to your first, through your first, your second, your third investment, multifamily, et cetera. So thank you so much, Jamil. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. 
called Rise. And it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.